Hi, and welcome to Sisters Love Podcast. My name is Shelly. And my name is Shannon. We are sisters and we talk about what we love to watch, love to learn, love to love, love to read. Well, you get the idea. Today, we're going to talk about Christmas movies. It is important to note that we have been unofficially referring to this episode as the Christmas movies episode of Unpopular Opinions. You see, like most of our selections for our other episodes, we tend to prefer unconventional movies, especially when it comes to the holidays. So, if you were expecting Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life, just know that this episode is not for you. But if you would enjoy a discussion featuring more non-traditional, off-the-beaten-path Christmas movies, stay tuned. I couldn't have said it better myself. If you want to know what kind of Christmas movies we prefer, just know that for the holidays, I bought our entire family Nakatomi Corporation Christmas party shirts. And we were all super excited, in case you were wondering. In order to ease you into the episode, we thought we would start with the movie that typically falls into the more traditional category of Christmas movies, A Christmas Story, released in 1983. It follows the story of Ralphie and his Christmas quest of receiving a Red Ryder BB gun from Santa. It was after the viewing for this episode that I cemented the reason why I do not watch this movie often. While there are some classic moments in this movie that I absolutely love, Overall, I'm not a big fan. There is so much problematic parenting going on, and along with some truly despicable children. With that being said, the moments that make it worth the occasional viewing are epic, such as the unboxing of the Leg Lamp Award, I still want one of those as holiday decor, the Triple Dog Dare, and of course, You'll Shoot Your Eye Out, which we still recite to each other on a regular basis. I still enjoy this movie very much, but I've seen it so many times over the years that I feel like I have the whole thing memorized. I think that makes it perfect to put on in the background while you're cooking or opening presents. True story, my dad used to tell me, apropos of nothing, you'll shoot your eye out. It was the kind of thing he said regularly, so it didn't faze me. I just thought it was dad being dad. Then I saw the movie, and it all clicked into place. We do have a small version of the leg lamp, and I'm sure it's fragile, so try not to be too jealous. Next, we have one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time, Scrooged with Bill Murray, released in 1988. It is the classic Charles Dickens story, but with the Bill Murray twist. I absolutely adore this film and have watched it at least once every year for well over a decade. By now, our love of Bill Murray is well known, and this movie is no exception. Murray's version of Scrooge is a TV executive named Frank Cross. He is driven by greed and the overwhelming desire to be the best and will sacrifice everything to attain his goals. That is, until he is visited by his deceased former boss and mentor, Lou Hayward. Lou warns him he must change his ways before disaster occurs. As an example of Frank's negative attitude, 
The following sign hangs in his exercise room. Cross. Noun. A thing they nail people to. (laughs) While Frank is clearly a jerk, he's a funny one. Which, of course, you'd expect from any Bill Murray character. At one point, his employees make a mistake, and he says something to the effect of, and now I'm going to have to kill you all. Even if you love your employees, that's just funny. My favorite ghost is the ghost of Christmas present, played by Carol Kane. Frank Cross, in the present, is not a nice person, as I'm sure you can imagine, and she treats him accordingly. Her transition from place to place involves hitting him in some way. My favorite transition is when she clocks him upside the head with a toaster, which is followed by one of my favorite lines in the movie. The bitch hit me with a toaster. All the ghosts are great, but I agree. Carol Kane is extra special. I don't normally find a crotch kick that amusing, but I'll make an exception for this movie. Karen Allen is also lovely in the movie as Frank's old flame. Although this movie skews more towards dark humor, it is still filled with all of the Christmas joy in the end. It really takes the Christmas Carol story, which for me had grown a little stale, and turns it into something modern. It's both funny and heartwarming, but thanks to that Bill Murray charm, never maudlin. Next is The Ref, released in 1994. The movie follows a thief, Gus, played by Dennis Leary, that has to evade police when his planned burglary goes awry. He kidnaps Caroline, played by Judy Davis, and forces her and her husband, Lloyd, played by Kevin Spacey, to take him back to their home until he can reach his partner for escape. Carol and Lloyd are in the midst of a serious marriage issues, and Gus's presence acts as a catalyst to bring all of their problems out in the open over a Christmas dinner with family. We should take a moment to say that we recognize that Kevin Spacey has become a problematic figure for many, and understandably so. We debated whether or not to include this movie here for that very reason, but decided to do so primarily because of the other performances. The film features a great ensemble cast with strong performances by all the players. It also absolutely fits into our Christmas movies that aren't really Christmas movies category too, so it seemed a shame to leave it out. That said, if you don't want to watch it, we totally appreciate that perspective. This movie has so many fantastically funny moments. For example, during a heated argument between Caroline and Lloyd, Lloyd's sister, Connie, played by Christine Bransky, stands up and says, exasperated, I'm sorry, but I have had enough. I have never heard of such a Christmas. Sex and drugs and women being set on fire? And when Gus is speaking to Lloyd's mom, Rose, a truly despicable woman that uses her money to trap her family under her control, Gus tells her, what is the matter with you? I thought mothers were supposed to be sweet and nice, and patient. I know loan sharks that are more forgiving than you. Your husband ain't dead, lady. He's hiding. (laughs) Christine Baranski as Connie has so many great lines, and she's a genius in the movie, as always. One of my favorites is when her daughter says that maybe the police would catch the robber, but let him go in the spirit of Christmas. Connie said, that's not the spirit of Christmas, 
The spirit of Christmas is either you're good or you're punished and you burn in hell. Or when Rose asks her, who does she think she is? And Connie says, indignant, slipper socks, medium. It is a rare movie that makes me actually laugh out loud, but this is one that does so repeatedly. Gus, who was posing as Caroline and Lloyd's therapist as a cover, actually ends up serving in that capacity more successfully than anyone else ever has, including their own therapist. I really do love this movie and its lessons of talking truthfully about your feelings in order to resolve issues and hold tight to the foundations of your relationships. I think this movie hits upon something that is universal in Christmas movies we like. We enjoy a happy ending, but we don't want it to be maudlin. Basically, we like our holiday stories to have a dose of black humor and perhaps just a little bit of family dysfunction. Next, we have Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, a Finnish film released in 2010. I had never heard of this movie, but you suggested it. This movie follows the story of Santa Claus as based on the Krampus mythology. All fairy tales are used as behavior modifications for children, and there are two schools of thought when it comes to fairy tales, reward or punishment. For example, The Americanized version of Santa Claus ensures that children will behave or they will not be rewarded. And the original version of the same mythology is Krampus. He ensures that children will behave or they will be punished and possibly eaten. The original versions of all fairy tales are always far more brutal than the sugar-coated versions common in America today. The tales of the Brothers Grimm, for instance, weren't all princesses and happy endings. I prefer the originals, but that is just me. The story follows a British research team with a company, Sub-Zero, searching for a treasure hidden deep beneath the Korvantunturi Mountain. The leader of the research group is certain he has found his long-sought-after prize, Santa Claus. The tiny nearby village is aware of the research team on the mountain and their explosive searching. But when the entire pack of reindeer, a main source of winter sustenance and income, is found dead, they are certain the research team is to blame. When they go confront the research group, they find something far more sinister. This film falls into the time-honored category of don't-dig-up-graves movies. Seriously, nothing good ever comes from digging up a grave in film, whether it wakes a mummy or a spirit, or an extremely tall, extremely evil Santa Claus. Seriously, just don't do it. Meanwhile, one of the local boys, Pietari, is suspicious of the reindeer's deaths and begins researching possibilities on his own, namely the legend of Krampus. He is convinced that the researchers found Santa Claus and now all of the bad boys and girls are being punished. I love it when he invites his friend over and is wrapped up in a cardboard with a plastic sports helmet waiting to confront the evil Santa. He shows his friend pictures of Krampus boiling children alive and says, The real Santa was totally different. The Coca-Cola Santa was just a hoax. (laughs) Pietari's relationship with his father is really sad. The mom has clearly died and they're just trying to make it work. 
but the dad doesn't seem to have the emotional capacity to provide his son with what he needs. Both are clearly in emotional pain. I think the fact that the characters seem like real people and not Christmas movie or horror movie stereotypes is one of the things that sets this movie apart from your standard fare. Can I also say that the cast is fan-freaking-tastic? I adore the boy that plays Pietari. His crooked bangs. But every one of the men were outstanding. This is a movie strangely devoid of women. But there you go. The elf they originally mistake for Santa is absolutely menacing too. In case you're wondering what kind of movie this is, it's a movie where an elf is trying to kidnap the children for Santa to eat and accidentally falls into an illegal pit meant for wolves. Then he ends up in a cage as the local men try to negotiate with the British research team to obtain the $85,000 they lost in the reindeer slaughter in exchange for the elf, who, as I said, they mistake for Santa. Nope. Santa's being defrosted in a giant warehouse where all the kidnapped children are being kept. And he's about 100 feet tall. Piatari started as the typical annoying kid, but turned out to be an awesome character in the film. The movie was a wild ride, and I absolutely loved it. For me, it was an instant classic and has been added to the must-watch list for the holidays, along with Scrooged and Die Hard. It's been a while since I saw this movie, and I loved it so much. I also want to encourage people that don't like scary movies to still watch it, because while it has sinister elements, I really don't think it's scary. And I'm super glad you enjoyed it as much as I did. When Piatari becomes the only functioning adult in the room, it's the greatest thing ever. You're right, we're absolutely adding this to the Christmas classics list. True story, we have a neighbor with outstanding holiday decor, Think creepy clowns that talk to you at Halloween and tell you how pitiful you were as a child and a seven foot tall Krampus for Christmas. My husband, Paul, said he's going to leave them a note that says, we love your decorations. Can't wait to see what you do for Easter. (laughs) Next, we have High Life, released in 1998. This was one of my additions to our list. I have been trying to make you watch this for years. The main storyline revolves around Jimmy, played by Eric Stoltz, trying to collect on a gambling debt on Christmas Eve. He tells his girlfriend, Susan, played by Maura Kelly, that his sister, Maggie, played by Daryl Hannah, is pregnant and needs money for an abortion. To elicit Susan's assistance with collecting money from her brother, a bartender named Ray, played by Campbell Scott. Susan tells her brother that she is the one that is pregnant and needs an abortion since she couldn't tell him about Maggie because Maggie is Ray's ex-girlfriend. This is a true ensemble cast, and there are multiple subplots and stories that we follow throughout the night. The characters in this story and their interactions with each other truly makes this movie what it is, and I love it. So, what did you think? I enjoyed this movie. I don't think it's going to make it onto my list of holiday classics, But the performances were great, and there were lots of funny lines. This is the second time in a month that Charles Durning has made an appearance in one of our films. Listeners may recall he played the dad in Home for the Holidays, and I'm okay if he literally isn't all of the rest of them. 
The movie actually made me miss several of the actors. Sadly, Caitlin Cartledge, the British actress who plays April, died at age 41. She struck me as the one with the capacity for the most long-lasting career, and she was excellent in Lars von Trier's brutal movie, Breaking the Waves. Von Trier, Mike Lee, and several others created a foundation in her honor to provide for promising new filmmakers. I hadn't seen many of the other actors since the 90s by sheer happenstance, but after I fell down a rabbit hole, I was happy to see that Campbell Scott, Eric Stoltz, and Wyra Kelly have all worked steadily since this film. Next, we have Carol, released in 2015. This story is about Carol Aird, played by Kate Blanchett, a mother in the middle of a divorce. She is queer and begins a relationship with Therese, played by Rooney Mara. We follow how Carol navigates her relationship with Therese while her bitter, estranged husband, Harge, attempts to use her sexuality against her in the divorce. The opening scene finds Carol in a department store shopping for a Christmas present for her daughter, Rindy, when she meets Therese. The movie is based on Patricia Highsmith's 1952 novel, The Price of Salt, which she wrote under the pen name Claire Morgan. I can't imagine what a scandal this book must have caused when it came out. Wikipedia points this out, but I've read in several places that the only way lesbian stories were allowed to exist at the time was that if one or more of the characters met a tragic end. In this way, the stories could demonstrate that this behavior was not socially acceptable. The Price of Salt completely upended this, by providing a narrative that allowed for at least the possibility of a happy ending for the main characters, and so was truly groundbreaking for its time. This movie was so incredibly beautiful, and showcases the journey of one woman learning the true value of living a life where she embraces who she is and who she wants to love. This movie had many heartwarming moments and heartbreaking moments. One scene that truly was both, was when Carol is meeting with her estranged husband and their lawyers, trying to come to some agreement over custody of their daughter. Emotional, Carol has proposed a fair solution to their custody agreement, imploring Harge to accept, she says. So that's the deal. I won't. I cannot negotiate anymore. You take it or leave it. But if you leave it, we go to court. And if we go to court, it'll get ugly. And we're not ugly people, Harge. I thought this movie was exquisite. I'm a very big Todd Haynes fan and love his films Safe, Velvet Goldmine, and especially Far From Heaven with Julianne Moore and Dennis Haysbert. This film is my favorite of all of them, though. Kate Blanchett was expectedly magnificent, but Rudy Morrow was also a revelation. The supporting players, specifically Kyle Chandler and Sarah Paulson, were equally good. One of my favorite things about the film is that it made Carol a complicated character who struggled under the weight of her decisions and her fierce love for her daughter while wanting to be her authentic self, something that society made near impossible at the time and sadly still does in some places. Blanchette is so mesmerizing you can't take your eyes off of her and the film is just the most gorgeous thing ever, which is typical of a Todd Haynes film. Longtime Haynes collaborator Edward Lockman was a cinematographer on the film. He also worked on Far From Heaven, 
which shares the same beguiling sensibility of Carol. He was nominated for Oscars for both, and I'm devastated on his behalf that he didn't win. Interestingly, Blanchett played Bob Dylan in Haynes' film I'm Not There, in which six separate actors played Dylan. I didn't like the movie as much as I expected to, but she, of course, was fantastic. Last, but certainly not least, we have the Christmas movie that is probably the most debated, is it or is it not a Christmas movie ever? Die Hard. For us, the inclusion of this film as a Christmas movie is not up for debate. It is a Christmas movie, period. It is the one movie, without fail, that we watch every year. I mean, with a line like, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. How could anyone argue that it isn't a Christmas movie? Also, it takes place at Christmas, and that's really all it takes for me. Who gets to make the rules? For this podcast, we do. But whether or not you think it's a Christmas movie, I really don't think I've ever met someone who didn't think it was awesome. Or maybe everyone is just smart enough to read the room and realize that message would not be well received. Just yesterday, one of my favorite New Yorker writers, Rachel Simi, who I've referenced before on this podcast, tweeted, The more and more I sit with it after watching it this morning, Die Hard may be one of the best movies I've ever seen? Catchphrases, a slow building intimacy between men in a crisis situation, Alan Rickman doing Shakespeare in the Park level villainry, Screenwriting that weaves together about 30 characters and makes you care about each one. Not just that, the YouTube channel Screen Junkies, which makes fake trailers making fun of movies, finally made a trailer for Die Hard a couple of years ago. It starts, This holiday season, revisit the greatest Christmas movie ever made. You heard me, It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> What's funny is that the channel is known for mocking everything about a movie, but even it couldn't find any complaints about Die Hard, saying, what, you think we were going to crap on Die Hard? This movie is freaking perfect. There is so much to love about this movie. For starters, the iconic Alan Rickman. He was the Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Professor Snape in Harry Potter, and Harry in Love Actually. But before he was any of those, he was Hans Gruber in Die Hard, one of the best villains of all time. Gruber was notably Rickman's theatrical debut role, and he was perfect. Don't forget the unconventional and heartbreakingly beautiful movie, Truly, Madly, Deeply. I love seeing him go from the world's greatest villain to a bona fide romantic lead if one playing a ghost. Despite the odd premise, it's such a lovely film. I'm heartbroken he left this world so soon. I have no doubt he would have continued to grace the screen with amazing performances. Next, we have Bruce Willis as John McClane. Of all of the memorable roles Willis has brought to life, the first one I always associate with him first is McClane. The story follows John McClane, an off-duty New York cop, visiting his estranged wife in Los Angeles. She works for Nakatomi Corporation in Nakatomi Plaza, a brand new skyscraper still in the process of completion. 
when Hans Gruber and his goons infiltrate the building during the Christmas party. John goes rogue and works to interrupt Gruber's plans of emptying the Nakatomi vault. He utilizes elevator shafts, air conditioning ducts, and still under construction floors as a means of eluding the bad guys and wreaking havoc on their very well-planned operation. Willis first came to fame as David on Moonlighting, a show I was legitimately obsessed with. The character of David was charming, but he was no action hero, so it seemed wild when this movie came out. Willis's everyman nature, though, is exactly why it worked so well in the film. You believed he was in real danger because he wasn't some kind of muscled-up Superman. It is truly one of the absolute best action-adventure movies ever. Screen Rant even has a five reasons it's the greatest action movie ever made list, and at number 10, the least of the reasons, is Die Hard is the best. Every single scene is great, and I could not agree more. They did list a few contenders to the title, one of which being Mad Max Fury Road, and I wholeheartedly agree with that selection. The Guardian also has an article, Die Hard at 30 how it remains the quintessential American action movie, stating, Bruce Willis's vest-wearing hero was an unlikely savior in 1988, and despite endless attempts to recycle the formula, he remains without equal in the genre. It astutely points out the draw of an everyman hero single-handedly taking on the bad guys. Seriously, I cannot understand how anyone could feel differently. It is the best. Indeed. We hope you enjoyed our unpopular opinions. Please join us next week when we discuss New Year's movies, including When Harry Met Sally, Snowpiercer, and Trading Places, in case you want to watch before you listen. We love suggestions. So don't hesitate to let us know if you have ideas for future episodes. Email us at contact at sistersLovePodcast.com. If you're enjoying our podcast, please do us a huge favor and give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. The Sisters Love Podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Shelley Clark and Shannon Kelly. That's That's us. us. Music by Sean Mullins. We can't wait to talk to you next time. Until then, keep finding things you love, especially each other.